This is the ID Fanatic podcast coming to you from beautiful Midtown Toronto on Tuesday, April 27, 2021. The podcast where we talk to real instructional designers for one half hour about their lives, their careers, and how they keep it all together. First, on a personal note, I started this podcast on my birthday in March. This is my eighth episode, and as of yesterday, we've had over 450 downloads, but only five reviews. So, while I'm happy people seem to be listening, I'd like to know more what you think. So if you can, please leave a review. There's a link at kite.link slash theidfanatic that will take you right there. I'll repeat that again at the end, so stay tuned. Today, we're taking a bit of a left turn. Our guest is usually an instructional designer, but there are other people involved in this industry that I think it would be interesting to hear from, too. For instance, voiceover artists, the people we rely on to voice our explainer videos and characters and sims. Just as no one grows up thinking they're going to be an instructional designer, I'd say even fewer think about doing this job. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming David Gilbert to the podcast. Hi, David. Thank you for coming on. Hey, Mitch. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Good. Good. Besides our little technical snafu earlier, it's, yeah. uh, it's going well. Yes, this uh, sometimes happens, but we get through it. <laughs> yeah. Always forward, never back. That's what I say. Absolutely. So for our listeners' benefit, I met David first at the Friday Meetup Global Learning and Development Community, and you can go to mygldc.org to sign up for that. Um, but David, you're not an instructional designer, so how did you end up at GLDC? Well, because I do a lot of e-learning, um, I was looking around to uh, find a place to network with people with, that are in the industry, and uh, I knew John from something else. It must have been another networking event of some kind online, and found him online and started going the first uh, first session back oh, last, uh, last April. Cool. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's who you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed you're also very active on LinkedIn. And that before diving into voice acting, you had a lot of marketing and sales jobs. Are, yes. those, are those two things related then? Uh, well, I spent uh, 24 years in sales and marketing and consumer packaged goods roles before I started my voiceover journey. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason I'm so active on LinkedIn is because I feel like it's important to uh, go and be where your potential customers are. Um, prior to the pandemic, I'd actually attended over 300 in-person events, whether it's networking or trade shows or conferences. And, and that flows into that philosophy. And I thought, well, where are, where are the learning and development people hanging out? A lot of times they're on LinkedIn, there's LinkedIn groups. Um, and I just decided mm -hmm. I was going to use that as, uh, a main focus because my business focuses on businesses. I don't yeah. do audiobooks or video games or any of these other genres. So, mm -hmm. and I, I've contemplated doing a podcast for the last, I don't know, mm -hmm. two years. I just haven't done anything about it. And I was going to focus on daily habits. Like, okay, Mitch, what does your average day look like? And why do you do certain things? And what's, you know, what has worked for you? What hasn't worked for you? And that kind of stuff. Because, you know, I, I as much as I believe in habits, I understand it. I get it. I actually have, um, an excellent book that's half read by my uh, nightstand called Atomic Habits by James Clear, 
which talks about, you know, how to build good habits, how to break down bad habits. And yet it's half read on my nightstand for the last, you know, six months. So I'm very <laughs> curious about habits, even if I don't execute it myself, that's the no, the knowing and the doing. So I'd be, I, I would love you have to, to make like, a habit of finishing the books that you buy. Yeah. Well, oh my God, I've got 12 <laughs> books. I probably bought, I bought that. I haven't read. I've got another 15 that are on my wish list on Amazon. If, if it's a, if it's part of your daily habit, you rely less on discipline on self, self, um, motiv- on motivation. It's just part of your daily habit, like working out. If, if going for a walk every morning at six 30 for half an hour is now part of your ritual, then there's no like, well, yeah. I, don't, I lack the motivation. No, there's no motivation. It's like a daily habit. Yeah. And once habits are ingrained, it's, it's, it's. So what there. are your daily habits? Um, well, just the basic stuff, you know, <laughs> getting up, showering, getting coming up. down to work. Like sure. I don't have some of these <laughs> habits. So that's why I'm like, okay, I, I know journaling would be good and meditation would be good and all these like really good things, you know, and going for a walk yeah. or whatever, but I just don't do it. Now the first eight years of your working life was as a buyer. Yes. Right. For Amway. Yeah. Um, how did you get into that? What was it like? Well, that's kind of an interesting story because my father left New York City um, and moved to Winnipeg, Manitoba, uh, to me- and he ended up meeting my mother there. Uh, and he was a general merchandise buyer for menswear and whatnot. Do you know uh, why he-, he moved? Was it a work thing? I, no, I think he just went to visit some cousins he had. Huh. And uh, ended up meeting my mom and stayed. And so he was a buyer at Eaton's. He became a buyer at Eaton's. And so he left at, uh, left his home, became a buyer. So I ended up doing the same thing as him. I left Toronto, moved to London, Ontario to become a buyer. And the bo- the person who hired me was his old boss at Eaton's 25 years before. So it was, I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, and what does a buyer do? Well, what I did there was we had a catalog, so I would go to trade shows, meet with vendors, um, have them come in, and I would actually source items for a catalog. So imagine a Sears catalog. Oh. Somebody actually had to make the buying decision, say, okay, this item we're going to take, and that item we're going to take, and this is the pricing, and this is the page. And so it was, it was interesting while it lasted. Yeah. Well, that's quite a, a cultural sort of niche there. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> you affected a lot of people's lives in that job, I think. Yeah, by the well, things you bought because was... people are dependent on that catalog, you know, in remote communities and things. Exactly. I, I that's the one thing that I really enjoyed because I knew that when I put something in the catalog, that it was going to affect potentially thousands of people. Yeah. Far out. Yeah. Um, now. What did you learn there that wanted you to break out to marketing? You, you started your own company when you were in London, right? Yeah, actually the same year I bought a, a new house and had a child, I ended up leaving, just quitting because I didn't see a real f- long-term future at the company and felt an, a desire to do something for myself. Um, so I thought, well, I, had, I see all these sales reps coming in to meet me all the time. So I knew what not to do, like how not to behave as a sales rep. And I thought, well, I can do this better. I can pick up a few lines and start selling to retailers, uh, either in my local area or national, national chains. <clears throat> so that's what I did. I just up and quit, uh, December of that year and started my own sales agency and picked mm-hmm. up a number of lines and started, started to sell consumer goods. And you stayed in London. I stayed in London, uh, until 20, 2008. Oh Yeah. 
as then then what you moved to toronto uh then uh had a little life uh, uh challenges happen uh my wife passed away in uh march of t- 2008 oh, and at sorry. the time oh thank you uh, and at the time um well, of course, I was living in London with two two young kids, and my family, her family, were all in Toronto. So I thought, well, I, I yeah. can't live here by myself without support. So I ended up moving back to Toronto, um, and that led me to uh, the rest of the other uh, companies I ended up working with. Boy. Boy, that's a real severe life trauma. Oh, Sorry yeah. to hear that, yeah. Not, not, not a fun conversation telling a five-year-old and a seven-year-old that their mom's not coming home from the hospital. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. She went in for a a, um, a replacement heart valve. Oh, and really? Just, and it just didn't like this. It was a second, second or third? Six, no, sixteen, third. It was a third operation. Um, so yeah, it it's, it just didn't go well, and so she never made yeah. it. Home. Well, so that was a fun conversation. Yeah, no, that's awful. <laughs> How old are they now, the kids? Uh, nineteen and twenty-one. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Anybody going into voice work? No. <laughs> well, because it's funny because where's start, dad? He's down in the closet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've I've constantly had it, like I'm recording. Stop moving around. Don't walk around. Like because my my equipment's uh, pretty pretty sensitive. So if they're even walking in the kitchen, I can pick it up. So I'm like, go to your room. Don't you know if you're preparing food, take the food, go up to your room, and you know, shut up for half an hour <laughs> or mm. whatever it is. Uh. So I ask this question of every everyone: When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, geez, um, I didn't really have something specific, uh, and it's not that I wanted to be in voiceover at that age, but I always loved mimicking Saturday morning cartoon characters, and I thought at some point I'd like to do some strange voices for you know at least I, I, that's what my thing was as a kid and I was always a very rambunctious and high energy kid uh-huh. um, but I never really had that I really want to be something I really want to be this yeah you know. I mean my mom jokes uh, that she says uh, oh you always wanted to be a dump truck I'm like okay <laughs> I like I like playing with trucks but I'm like I didn't want to be a dump truck do um, you have do you have brothers and sisters that yeah one sister she's uh, about a year and a half older. All right. So she she didn't share your uh, compunction to imitate cartoon characters. No, no. <laughs> she was the more reserved one. <laughs> I guess compared to you, anything would be more reserved. I'm gathering. Uh, I guess I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it took 20 years or so before you actually got into voice. Uh, I was going to say what took you so long, but we talked about the uh, the jobs that you had before. Um, so how did you finally decide to do it, and what was your first gig? Oh, geez. Well, how I got into it was I was transitioned out of the last company I was at. They, they downsized a whole bunch of people and, um, you know, started looking for a traditional job. And then my best friend said, you know, what about this radio thing? Now, I don't know where that came from. I remember back in university at Ryerson, I had a professor say, oh, you got a good baritone voice. You should do radio. And I'm like 19 years old. This is pre-internet. Um, hmm. and in those days, if you needed a voice, this, you know, pre-internet 1992, 93, it was a union talent. It was expensive. It was in a studio and blah, blah, blah. So I, I'm like, I don't know. I, I, what am I? Some 19 year old kid, never been in a high school play even. So ended up when I was in London, ended up going to a studio just for, you know, shits and giggles. 
and asked the, the studio manager, said, what about this voice thing? This is back again, early 90s. He says, well, we mostly do corporate videos and we have a gentleman we bring in who went to Juilliard. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you got a guy who's doing corporate videos and went to Juilliard and I haven't even done a high school play. So I was like, okay, let's move on. So fast forward to 2016, um, my buddy says, what about that radio thing? I'm like, I don't know. So I looked up, I Googled voiceover. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. You can do it from your home studio and there's all these different genres and holy crap, like this is something yeah. worth pursuing and I can do it till I'm old and gray because I probably will have to do it till I'm old and gray or yeah. grayer. And uh, so I spent a year and a half just full-fledged training, coaching, took every class I could find and got demos and went to conferences and really em em engrossed myself in the, in the community. And that's when I realized how similar the community was to L&D in that it's like very open and caring and whatnot. So I thought, okay, after a while, I'm going to stay with this. I'm how did you know, happen. how did you know what L and D was like? Well, it was the, I think it was when I first started going to I4PL events or online events, I started yeah. having one-on-one -on -one interactions with, with people. And I thought, okay, everyone's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, coming again, coming from the corporate world for 24 years and been mm -hmm. in, various sizes of companies mm -hmm. you don't see that it's not like that it's very siloed very much you know uh, you know cut and cut and dry so i was like oh this is this is really nice people are nice it's a nice community i, I feel and the voice community was like that too it was exactly the same and like wow see this that's is... a little surprising i thought it would be more competitive and it, i mean it, it is competitive but we're not really it's not like the acting community where that's really like cutthroat, right? The voice acting community, we know that if let's say you and I were competing for a job, right? We're auditioning among hundreds of people uh -huh. with talent agencies. Where if you got the, the gig, it's not because you were necessarily better than me. It's just that at that particular moment, on that particular day, the casting person liked your delivery or your sound better. Right. It's a choice as yeah. opposed to. So that's why we, we don't really compete against each other, because we know at the end of the day, it's not uh, a real it's completely subjective sort of exactly. uh, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, in terms of training yourself, because you became your own instructional designer in a way uh, in your bio, you talk about uh, coaching and online workouts. Yeah, that's what that's, is that? Uh, what is that like? That is taking. I don't. I don't coach right now. Yeah. Um, no, no, but, but you, you, but when I, when I say you became your own instructional designer, you designed the program that you would put yourself through in order to oh, learn this job. Yeah. It's interesting because it's not like there's, there's probably more structured learning to be an ID than there is structured learning to be a voice actor because uh -huh. it's a cottage industry. So you, you can hang up a shingle and say, hi, I'm a voice coach. And nobody would really say anything. Uh -huh. Because there's no certification body. There's no, here's what you need to know. There's a lot of coaches, a lot of schools, some really good coaches, some really good schools. Um, so I basically did what any ID would do is ask around. Who do you recommend? What courses have you taken? What, co what classes? What coaches? What schools? And through asking a number of people, I found better coaches, better schools, and... Um, I, I went that direction. So I made my own path in terms of learning. Mm -hmm. And what do you, when you say online workouts, what exactly is that? 
So an online workout would be, you know, anywhere from six to 12 people. They'd show up in a Zoom room, uh, either with a coach or led by a, a peer, and you'd bring scripts and you'd read the script and you have either the coach or the, the um, somebody leading the group give you critiques and then ask you to read again. Or it would be a peer to peer, in which case, let's say you would read a script and I would direct you and say, can you give me this? And so it's, it's really about hmm. improving your performance um, in a group environment. Cool. I see in your testimonials that you worked for Grima Gupta at Arthur Learning. Yeah. So uh, she was the first podcast guest. I, I listened series. to it. Yeah, yeah it's nice. Uh, and I also saw you did some work for uh, Kara North. Yes. She's very active on the internet as well. Um, can you tell me how you got into e-learning specifically and how you see the industry from a voiceover perspective? Well, how I got into it was the overall framework of my business philosophy, which is focusing on what businesses need. And every business has customers, employees, and a phone system, right? So that I look at it in terms of holistically. So as if you have customers, you're going to be training them. And e-learning is a large uh, component uh, in voiceover in terms of corporate work. Um, and and I, I, it just, it's a natural fit. It, it's not exactly something that every company uh, requires an outside talent. I've found that, uh, interestingly, that most companies do it internally. Uh, but those who do needed a voice talent on the outside, um, they, it's a, it's a very important, um, they're a very important partner in their produ production of e-learning. Um, what was the second question? Hmm. Uh, I said, how do you see the industry from, uh, from your perspective? Uh, in terms of, in terms of the, the kind of training that we provide. Oh, it's, it's all over the map. Um, it could be anything from characters, character based, like you mentioned earlier, to a straight narrator. Uh, I'm seeing a lot more of it being just this real person sitting beside you explaining something versus uh, this this uh, <laughs> disembodied voice. Uh, people need to have that human connection. And I think having the more um, real situations, like I just did a, a, a project um, for a petroleum institute. Uh, or it's a, a propane institute. And it was very much uh, conversation driven um, because people, if you're going to be trained on something, they'd rather have somebody have it come from a coworker versus having it come from this mysterious person. You know, mm -hmm. the more you can connect with the learner, uh, the listener, the, the more they're going to absorb the material. And so without any mentioning any names, what's the worst thing you've ever had to read in an e-learning e course? <laughs> Uh, thankfully I haven't really come across anything really bad. Um, but poor, I, I've had some cases where it's been very poorly written or, um, yeah, or it just doesn't it, grammatically, it may look great on paper, but when you say it out loud, I'm like, wow, this really wasn't, didn't sound <laughs> like somebody would talk, would say the words. So. Do you have to bite your tongue or are you allowed to give feedback I, sometimes? No, I sometimes do if the, if the client is open to it. Um, and I'll make some suggestions, uh, but ultimately it's, it's their words. And by the time I get the scripts, it's been through 14 people and legal mm. and all this kind of stuff. So I try not to, I, I never would, um, arbitrarily make changes because that yeah. would, it, only case where that may be is if, if it's a grammatical word 
that didn't affect the actual content, mm -hmm. I may give two reads. I may, may give my version and then I'll, I'll give theirs. So if they wanted to cut mine out, they can still use theirs, right? So, I see. Yeah. And is, is your whole business e-learning or do you do other work? No, I focus on anything a business needs. So that would be anything from uh, commercials to explainer videos, corporate videos. Uh -huh. I do a lot of uh, telephone work. So hi, thanks for calling. Oh, uh, press one for press one for Mitch. Press two for Mitch. Press four for Mitch. Um, yeah. So I, I, my focus, because again, I came from a business background, was what do businesses need? Because uh -huh. I knew businesses, um, and keep it in there. So I don't do audiobooks and video games and museum tours and all these other genres. It so. does include commercials, though. What do you mean by commercials? Well, if you hear a radio or like... commercial or TV commercial, there's a voice in the background. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you don't have to, you don't do that through an advertising agency you do it through the business client that's well there's so many it's like an onion there's so many ways to 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 deal with that if i wanted to do uh, a coca-cola ad i would uh, a i would have to be probably union that would and that would go through a production company through a talent agency through the i mean that's a whole other food chain uh-huh um but if you're talking local uh, local ads or, you know, explainer videos, that's through, either directly through companies or it's through production companies. Okay. Finally, the, from the point of view of someone who has to read our words, what advice do you have for us as the writers of this stuff? Oh, make it conversational, read it before you hand something to somebody else to, to read and you're paying them to read it, read it out loud for yourself. Make sure it sounds right first. Um, understand who you're talking to and understand who you are or who the narrator is. If you understand the dynamics of that voice, then that will, um, make your copy, um, uh, more resonate, resonate better with the, with the listener. Okay. So, uh, what are you looking forward to doing most when we get out of the pandemic? <laughs> Believe it or not, going to see a movie. Oh yeah. I'm just, I'm a movie fan. I love seeing movies and there's nothing to me like seeing it on a you know, big 40 foot screen. And, uh, yeah, restaurants are fine. I'd be nice to do that and travel if I can, when I can. But you know, the easiest thing like just to go and see a movie on a, uh -huh. just uh, the movie, you, new movie came out, comes out and I can just go and see it. Did you watch the Oscars last night? No, I actually did. Oh. did you? <laughs> yes, I did. How was it's, it? it? Well, you know, they, re it was really cut back. Because like the like the Grammys, it was just the nominees that were there, the nominees sure, sure. and their tables, sure. and uh, so it was in a small space. They they did the musical entries during the pre-show, hmm. so they didn't take time to do those during the show, and they didn't have they had very very few movie clips, hmm. like they would announce the short films and things, and you wouldn't see anything. You would only see the movie clips for the for the bigger movies. Hmm. Um, and they didn't have an orchestra, the, you know, and they didn't have, um, so nobody got, you know, played off, which meant the speeches sometimes <laughs> ran quite long. Ah. And it, it really reminded me of an industry event. Like it could have mm. been any industry because there's just people sitting at tables being nominated for things and going up and, <laughs> and, and receiving a totally different feel. Yeah. 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 It was like, you know, it could have been a car show or something. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe next year we'll see what happens. Was it was it under two bad. hours then, or, or no? They still went over. It was oh ridiculous. my god! <laughs> That's hilarious. That's the two minute warning.
Okay. To wrap up, I'd like to ask the 10 questions survey from the Actors Studio TV show. Have you ever caught that? I think I've seen it. On PBS? Yeah. So they ask actors at the end of it, they ask these 10 questions. Oh, lovely. And the idea is just to say the first thing that pops into your head. Sure. All righty. What is your favorite word? Favorite word? Uh, I don't actually have one. Never thought of that. Something you like from a cartoon. <laughs> Yabba dabba do. All right. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. What is your least favorite word? Uh, I don't know. Perfunctory. <laughs> First word that came to mind. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Um, seeing people succeed when they uh, come from very uh, hard, hard circumstances. Hmm. And what turns you off? Uh, disrespect. What's your favorite curse word? Um, the F word. <laughs> Everybody likes the F word. I don't know. Like, but just it just like just it the, encompasses so much emotion. The perennial perennial favorite. Yeah. Uh, what sound or noise do you love? The sound or noise do I love? Um, a good car doors close. That nice solid thunk. Mm. It's kind of satisfying. What sound or noise do you hate? Uh high-pitched screeching like chalkboardy kind of sound what profession other than your own would you like to attempt uh, uh, cinematographer would be wonderful and what profession would you not like to do garbage man uh, the final question has a bit of a Christian ring to it but here it is if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Hmm. You did all right. All right. All right. So that's it. You cool. did all right. <laughs> it was nice. Uh, nice chatting with you, Mitch. It was great. Yeah. No, it was fun. It. Thanks a lot for for uh, for doing it. Oh, thanks for in inviting me. We'll do the face to face thing once this is all over. Wonderful. Looking forward to it. The ID Fanatic drops every Tuesday at noon Eastern time. I hope you're inspired to subscribe and write a review. Good, bad, or ugly, let me know what you think. That link again is kite.link slash the ID Fanatic. To get notices of upcoming episodes, you can sign up at the idfanatic.com and you'll also get a free gift of my instructional design cheat sheet. You can contact me, Mitch Moldovsky, on LinkedIn, and I hope that you and yours have a totally awesome week. Bye-bye.